This week on the Sports Initiative podcast, I sit down with founder of Performance Reimagined, Lauren Heyman. She discusses her athletic journey and why that's created a passion for supporting performance athletes, the challenges and pressure for athletes, and her theory around the four-year Olympic cycles, as well as the purpose for Performance Reimagined and how they're trying to help athletes cope with the challenges and pressures of the modern-day sporting world. As always, if you enjoy this podcast, please make sure you share it with friends and family. I hope you enjoy. So, Lauren, I know that this has been a long time in the making through schedule slash me being on holiday and whatnot. But, yeah, really glad to be able to get this into the diary. How are things in your world? Are you all good? All good. Uh, You know, for us here in the U.S., a lot of big sports things are coming up. They're just ending. So, you know, it's always a good time to be ready to go and work with athletes, quite honestly. Yeah, I know you're a Bengals fan, so we won't touch on the, the Super Bowl <laughs> or run to Super Bowl. We'll, we'll steer clear of that one. But they were close. They're getting closer. So you never know. Maybe next year. Yeah, let's hope so. You know, I'll keep my opinions and my perceptions about what went down to myself. But, you know, there's also a silver lining in that they didn't play in the Super Bowl. So yeah. I'll hang on to that one. And you lost to the team that won it. So it shows that you're there or thereabouts, which is never yeah. a bad thing. No. Um, to begin with, uh, for, for the listeners, can you just explain, I guess, who you are um, and what you do as a starting point? Yeah, very, very short version. So uh, I started swimming when I was five years old. Uh, as the story goes, my mother, I had two older sisters. My mother needed something to do with me as well. So she just threw me in and whoop, off I went. Uh, I don't remember falling in love with the sport. But that's what happened. Uh, I just felt so alive. I felt so myself and swimming was just my world. So much so that I had the honor and privilege to be awarded a full scholarship to Eastern Michigan University where I finished my swimming career and went off into the real world. Um, I I say that like breezing past it. It wasn't necessarily the easiest transition on the planet for me. Um, Found myself in the human resources space from a professional point of view found also that wasn't my space and had been exposed to executive coaching. So I thought, hmm, that might be something I like to do. So I went and got my coaching certification and started my own practice in January of 2020, which, you know, seemed great idea at the time. And then obviously the world came to a a grinding halt. And while I was still coaching, really focused on leadership development and career transition, again, found that necessarily wasn't my space. And then as the universe would have it, you know, for me, just to, to, to wait to see what it brings me. Uh, the 2020 Olympics started and it was the night that Simone Biles removed herself from competition. It was the same night that Katie Ledecky won gold in the 1500 meter freestyle, but didn't necessarily have the greatest swim. She was about 20 seconds off of her world record. And in that same night, Michael Phelps came on the telecast when he was in Tokyo and said the words that I had been thinking or feeling for for 30 years, but didn't know how to articulate. And they were competing is really overwhelming. We just want someone to talk to. We just want someone who listens, who allows us to be vulnerable and doesn't want to fix us. And it was in that moment that I thought, uh, yeah, that's exactly how I felt as an athlete. No doubt that's how millions of other athletes 
feel. And so in that moment, I pivoted my business to work with um, high school aged athletes and college aged athletes to train their minds like they train their bodies. Yeah, perfect. I think it provides a really nice overview in terms of you as a person and a little bit kind of as a practitioner to to what you are now. Um, I guess the the easiest bit to to describe to us to begin with is why have you got a passion for, for this area? Why Why does it resonate with you so much? Well, you know, as an athlete, there was always this nagging a feeling, a reality, whatever, you know, whatever word you want to use to it, of that, like, I just couldn't completely unleash my potential, right? And and as I looked back, to, looked back on my athletic career after I was out, it was like, I just couldn't get out of my own head. I couldn't, I didn't know how to remove those blocks of everything has to be perfect. I have to be on in this moment. Every race that I have, has to reflect how well I'm doing in practice. And, and if I don't do it, what will mom think? What will dad think? What will coach think? What will my teammates think? Hell, what will I think? And it was always just this, this pressure and almost like lack of identity in a way, like full identity as a swimmer, but like lack of identity of what I was in the swimming world. And I just had this nagging, like, how do I get out of this trap? And that's, where it came from. And at the time I'll date myself. I was a product of the late nineties, early two thousands. That was my prime. And talking to someone about these kinds of things wasn't, wasn't necessarily not a thing, but it also wasn't really talked about or really publicized as an option for athletes. And I think this is probably a nice junction to mention um, kind of what the pressures of collegiate athletes are um obviously it's a slightly different system to what we have in the uk and maybe different to europe etc so do you just want to explain to uh people that maybe don't know aren't as familiar with the product actually what the pressures of collegiate sport and then maybe that transition to professional sport can look like for someone who's of 18 you know 18 years old 19 years old um yeah yeah, how challenging that can be for some of those athletes yeah well the pressure is to perform at all moments, right? You know, and thinking about it from a scholarship, you know, the idea that the school is paying you to, or is paying for, not paying you, but paying for your education, right? So there's the pressure of maintaining specific grades in order to maintain that scholarship. Uh, you know, I certainly had an added pressure on top of that. So I had a, I, I had a combination of an academic scholarship and an athletic scholarship to create the full ride. So I had to hold a certain um, grade level or what we call a GPA uh, above and beyond what quote unquote, I hate to say normal athletes, that's not what I mean, but you know, I, I just had to have something on top of that. So there's always that pressure to perform, to maintain your, your eligibility as we call it. Um, in, in the normal pressures of wanting to perform, right? I mean, every athlete wants to go out there and win. So you always have that pressure of, am I going to be able to, to reach the goals that I want to reach in order to show that I have validity and value in this space? Um, you know, I, on any sport, there's also the the pressure of maintaining your position, right? So in swimming, we, we there are obviously... Uh, people who swim the same events and while you're not necessarily um, 
Well, no, that's not true. I was going to say is you're not necessarily pitted against one another, but you kind of are if you want to be on the traveling team. So, you know, the team that actually goes to other schools and, and competes, you don't take the entire team depending on the, the, the uh, sport, like in, in football, you still don't actually uh, thinking about what my nephew goes through, but it's, it's all of those pressures. And then of course, you know, a pressure to get an education, right? You know, every athlete as particularly those in college know that, you know, 99% of us aren't going to go compete in the, in the professional level. So it really is all about getting a good education so that once you're done and you're forced to retire because there's nowhere else to go beyond college, you you have something to fall back on and to be successful in that space. And how much of a challenge is it, I guess, on the campus space? I know like if you look at football, for example, they're going to be, you know, almost like rock stars walking around their campus and whatnot. But how, how big a challenge is that for, you know, young athletes using yourself and experience or other people in terms of, you know, I'm at Ohio State, I'm at Michigan, I'm at Florida, and the expectation to perform in front of 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 100,000 fans, which there is in the uh, American collegiate system, right? It's quite full on in terms of people watching eyes on being on ESPN, which we don't have over here with those younger athletes traditionally. Yeah, I would say on those bigger sports, that absolutely adds to the pressure and, and, and great call out because that wasn't necessarily my experience, right? I mean, swimming is is considered a quote unquote small sport, uh, particularly in, in, in collegiate athletics. You know, we don't bring in a ton of money. We're not a revenue generating sport. Uh, I actually learned, and I don't want anyone to, you know, quote me and hold me to this, but the majority of college athletics operate in the red, meaning they lose money more than they make, um, with the exception of big football programs, big basketball programs, you know, a lot of those fuel the other sports. So in a way, even if the athletes don't think about that, or it doesn't register for them, which would make total sense that it wouldn't register for, you know, CJ Stroud that, oh, I'm paying for the, you know, swimming team at Ohio State. Um, but there is that pressure of, you know, when you're, you are in the horseshoe and you're playing in front of 105,000 fans, fanatic fans, right. Um, that, that, yes, that is another, and, and a, that is another part of it. And for anybody, uh, what's new to collegiate athletics as well is this concept of name, image, and likeness. And we, in, in America, call that the NIL for short, in that it's a new, Legis legislation, I guess, for lack of a better term, that allows collegiate athletes to now actually be paid, be sponsors, sponsored for who they are, their name, their talent, right? Because the the whole um, hullabaloo was that, uh, you know, the, the schools are making so much money off of these really high level talented athletes now there should be an opportunity for these athletes to make money for themselves. So therein lies another pressure uh, that exists for college athletes is to, you know, I'm really talented. Hmm, how much money can I make from this? And I know we discussed this when we caught up previously, but that potentially brings some challenges with, uh, you know, family and friends and whatnot as well, I'd imagine, right? Could you just talk us through what that might look like in terms of some of the extra strains that are put on those individuals that, you know, have to decide where they want to go to school and how what they might be able to financially make might be a real big motivation for some people around them? Yeah. And this is my personal philosophy. I'm not saying that this is, you know, the end all be all, but 
it would add another layer of pressure, particularly as you're growing into the collegiate space of, hey, you know, really talented athletes who show that talent at 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, the, the, understandably the wheels start spinning of, oh, how much earning potential might there be in the next three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, however long years that, you know, parents start to see it uh, and potentially feel that pressure, whether they know it or not. Uh, and then naturally, or, you know, maybe un unconsciously then kind of project that pressure onto their athlete. And we've seen many a time athletes who, you know, do make a lot of money, you know, before name, image, and likeness came onto the scene and all of a sudden droves of friends now become a part of their inner circle because, hey, there's a lot of money there. Um, you know, people can be taken care of in that respect. And take all of this together, particularly for those who are just coming out of high school in the U.S. So they're 17, 18, 19 years old going into college with this, this, new opportunity and, and everything that it presents for somebody in their lifetime that or some somebody who in their development cycle may not completely understand or have uh or or grasp what all of this opportunity really means for them. And if they don't necessarily have a strong mental foundation that the breaking points that might be experienced simply because they're not completely developed or didn't come didn't fully uh embrace the idea of how might I train my mind in order to be able to support all of what I'm going through and I guess it becomes equally challenging in terms of that dynamic with you know family and friends of you look at famous pop stars or movie stars, they end up paying for their parents' houses or parents' cars or siblings to have food on the table and stuff. And if you, you know, resonate that to most of us listening and you're 18 years old and having that pressure in your head, that is not optimal for probably performing in whatever sport that you're in. So I think there's obviously a, you know, the extra layer of, of that and then you begin to wonder who can I actually trust in this because mm -hmm. are they in it for themselves or are they in it for what's best for me and those obviously don't always align in terms of what college that you might go to that fits your style of play or the, you know the best opportunity to progress onto NFL, NBA, MLB, whatever that looks like so I think that it must be an increasing minefield for for players at high school ages of trying to figure out what's best for them and what's being considered maybe best for everyone around them yeah and at the end of the day even though there there there's potentially a lot of money to be made uh based on your talent as an athlete venture to guess 99.999 percent of athletes truly love the game and just want to perform to the best of their ability and this all of these other distractions pulling them away and potentially making what they love to do most that much harder and you know the just the 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 anguish that can come with that i'm not saying it happens to everybody but the anguish that can come for those who may not necessarily be in the best position yet to handle all of that for sure and before we go into what you do what you know what, what you're actually thinking is one thing we spoke about previously was um 
kind of the pressures of being like the face of. Um, I think you provided a really nice analogy around um, Olympic cycles and being the face of an Olympics and then almost dropping off the face of the earth beyond that and whatnot. Could you just talk through, I guess, any experiences you've had with athletes that worked in that space or what you see as that Olympic cycle uh, and you know some of the challenges that people and athletes can face within that space? Yeah. For anybody not familiar with U.S. sports, we do a great job of building people up. We also do a great job of tearing them down, to be honest. Um, so if you if you tend to look at our Olympic cycle here in the U.S., what, what tends to happen, right, so we're about a year, a little over a year out for the 2024 Olympics. And so you'll start to see, you know, certain names, certain uh, images being put up relative to the sport. So a perfect example of when Michael Phelps was still uh, swimming, right? His face was all over the Olympics uh, every summer and, or every, you know, summer Olympics. And then they'd pick two or three more. So last Olympics, it was Simone Biles. It was Katie Ledecky and it was uh, Caleb Dressel for anybody uh, familiar. He's a, he's a sprint freestyler and butterflyer here in the U S absolutely phenomenal athlete. Um, I attest doing that puts them gives them credit for their talents, but it also could potentially create this expectation of what to live up to. And then what can happen is when athletes don't necessarily perform the way that the U.S. builds them up, well, then it becomes kind of, well, you drop off and then we're just going to go find another name to fill your spot, whether that's in the same sport or a completely different sport. But that tends to be the cycle that we see here in the US, that it's like, we'll put three to four faces to the Olympics. We hope they do well. And when they do, we'll celebrate the heck out of them after. And, you know, for the several months later, we'll do the same. We'll bring them back up, you know, 15 to 18 months before the Olympics start again. Hopefully they perform well. If they don't, well, then we'll, you know, kind of put another face to, to you know, the, the marketing of it all when really it's all about celebrating their talents, right? It's, it's, I'm going to be really cynical in this space uh, right now uh, that it is a marketing ploy and, you know, understandably, you know, we want viewership that that's really what they're going after in viewership. And, and these athletes do deserve as many eyes on them as possible because of their talent, but at the same time, being cognizant of what all of those eyes and that pressure can mount to. Uh, I guess it's, you know challenging for those that it's their first cycle so for like a you know michael phelps for example he's you know this for lack of a better phrase phrase it's not his first rodeo once you've <laughs> done that for you know two or three cycles you go okay i know what i'm going to do i'm going to haven't done no interviews for the last two and a half years now every person's going to want a little bit of me i'm going to be in you know a big studio in hollywood one day and then i'm going to be in Arkansas doing a local TV network, the next one, and, you know, I'm going to be floating around there. Whereas if that's your first Olympics, I can imagine that purely from a physical toll could be quite over, over or in, in terms of, you know, having to go through that, having your face everywhere, having everyone come and speak to you in the streets and stuff. Is that something that um, has been attested to by, you know, some of those individuals where it is their first Olympics and they, have come out and said how shocked they were by that level of, I guess, intrusiveness slash marketing slash what, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. So I personally have never 
heard those kinds of phrases. A lot of what I say and feel is speculation on my part, just being an outside observer. But a, a perfect example of if, if you look at Katie Ledecky's first Olympics, where she was quote unquote, no one, I say that in terms of most people had didn't know her name, how well she performed. And I want to say that was 2012. Um, and so she was kind of this breakout star. There wasn't, she was still 15, I think. Um, so I don't know that there was a ton of intrusiveness following the 2012 Olympics on her part because of her age and kind of where she was in her cycle, right? Then look at her in 2016, where she, her, she swam out of her absolute mind um, and had a wonderful meet. And then you started to see her, you know, be much more of a face. Um, and again, I haven't spoken to her. I've never, you know, I've never necessarily heard it. Another great example is Michael Phelps after 20, 2008, when he, he, he did the whole thing where he got eight Olympic golds, right. in one meet kind of set the record or tie the record. I, I can't remember, but then look at him in 2012, if memory serves, it was between 2008 and 2012, where he had some of his, um, you know, not so highlight moments uh, where DUIs and and potentially, um, you know, smoking marijuana. And he even admitted after that, that he wasn't completely into the 2012 Olympics. And you could almost kind of like see it on him as you were watching it. Um, but what I had, I did have the opportunity to actually speak to um, one gold medal winner who will, uh, will protect the privacy is that following the it was either 12 or 16, um, there was a huge depression. It was like, do I want to do this again? Do I, do I want to go another four years to, and this person said, you know, while I am so many things, I am this well-rounded hum human. What I'm really known for is a race that took less than two minutes. And that, that is where, you know, everyone recognizes who I am. And so, you know, I do think there is some some truth somewhere to this build you up and you know what is it after I've reached this pinnacle what does that really mean for me who does that make me what is what do I want to do and how do I bounce back from this yeah and I think it's, it's important to um, explain as well so in the UK we kind of have maybe one or two tv programs that will talk about sports all day so you've got sky sports news is the main one that comes to mind that most people watch the rest of the stuff around that we've got multiple uh sites it might be sky sports football sky sports cricket sky sports f1 etc and on a radio perspective we've got something called talk sport which again probably covers the majority of of sports and whatnot now from my understanding you guys are like completely <laughs> exploded on there. I mean, I can go on YouTube and find you know, like first take or Colin Coward or whatever you want to do. So before we come on to what you do to support these athletes, do you just want to explain, I guess, how overbearing potentially the media could be with the number of outlets and sources and stuff that are around athletes that maybe have absolutely nothing to do on another. So they would have to go and do multiple interviews during a day or whatnot. Oh gosh, yes. So we'll use uh, probably football is probably the American football is probably the best example of that. So from an outlet standpoint, we have ESPN. Um, there's ESPN two. There's ESPN three. There's ESPN University. There's ESPN. You know, I mean, there's a number of different outlets. And and like, how do I explain this? Like the 
the lower you go down in that that hierarchy, that's where they cover more of the smaller sports where ESPN covers a lot of um, football, basketball, MLB, hockey, right? The, the big sports that we have here in the US. We also have the NFL network. We have that is completely and utterly dedicated to the NFL and not just during the National Football League and not just during football season, which is basically from August until February, from February until March or February till August. We're talking about the draft. We're talking about what the teams look like and and everything. Uh, Most of our power five, I think all of our power five conferences, so um, collegiate like big collegiate systems from the Big Ten, the Big 12, the Pac-12, um, the ACC and the SEC all have their own channels. And so you can actually uh, catch any number of sports. We have the uh, U.S. Olympic Channel. I mean, it's, whoa, it's everywhere. Not to mention, as you as you said, all of these analysts who have podcasts, who have their own shows, who have their own uh, Instagram, Twitter um, the handles everywhere, right? So you, athletes are constantly inundated with sources talking about not only them, but their other athletes and everyone has an opinion. Everyone can, um, chime in. And so it's just truly is constant sport chatter all day long. Yeah. I think, I think you've given a nice picture in terms of how, how one, how young it starts. So you said the collegiate stuff, that's 18. So, you know, if you've got a TV channel that's specific for your, your conference that you're in or the league that you're in, they're going to talk about you. If you're at a major school or major um, university, they're going to talk about Mm -hmm. you, you know, probably every day. Um, And then that rolls all the way through to obviously the more, obvious ones when you start going to your Lakers, your Knicks, your mm-hmm. Yankees, whoever, when you're in big markets and naturally you're going to be the talk of the town. So I think, yeah, it gives a really good insight as to what that actually looks like and what that face of the Olympics looks like. Cause you mentioned mm-hmm. if, you know, some of them start doing some crossover work where, you know, LeBron James being compared to Michael Phelps in terms of stature and stuff, you're getting a lot of coverage from a lot of areas. Um, so I think it probably brings us quite nicely now into what do you do to support them? So could you just explain, I guess, your role in trying to support the younger athletes, but then also anyone obviously who's in a performance space? What type of services, what type of offer do you put in place to try and support them navigate some of these high pressurized challenges that we've mentioned? Yeah, and it it really was intentional to start at the high school space because we particularly really our 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 deepest niche is working with the high school athletes who want to take their talents into college and knowing that with that comes all sorts of pressures one that they already experience and two that they'll experience when they get to college in the simplest terms the services we provide is a, a free uh, an open and judgment free space to unleash what they're thinking what they're feeling without any sort of preconceived notion of fixing who they are because the belief is they're not broken it's simply that they don't necessarily have all the tools yet to to manage what they think feel and how they behave so first and foremost that's the that's the environment that we create it's just an open judgment free space to just come and literally just verbally emotionally mentally and in some ways throw up on somebody who is completely removed from your situation 
and can be objective with you, who will hold a loving space, but will also challenge you in terms of, you know, what is it that, how might you be contributing to what you're experiencing without blame, simply that you just didn't know any better, right? You know, we, we, we all grow up as, as conditioned humans. So what about that conditioning isn't work for you and how do we reprogram it? In the simplest terms, that's what we do. And so we dig into what is it they're currently thinking? What is it they're currently feeling? And how is that translating to their performance? Perfect. So I guess a really good starting point is what does success look like? So if I said to you that you guys have done your job well, what does that look like for you and your athletes? Yeah, well, we're super open to say it's really hard to measure what we do, right? And and success really is, and, and we're very open with the athletes to say that's why we that's why we look at you to do a lot of the work too, right? This isn't us doing the work for you. This is us creating awareness of what you can, what can be done in order for you to do the work. So success is going to look different for every single athlete. So some specific examples of current or past clients is uh, working with a soccer player who go, uh, yeah, soccer, uh, American soccer, right? Um, who comes to games so fearful that she is not going to play to the best of her ability. It's like she it's like she reverse engineers her talent so that she plays cautiously because she's afraid of messing up, of not doing well. And so for her, success looks like coming to games completely confident and being okay if she you know, misses a pass or misses a goal or um actually handles the ball at the volume she should, that there's this, this fear that she's a ball hog and that no one is going to like her, right? So success for her is being able to remove all those barriers and to come and play to the best of her ability without shame or um, a fear that people are going to be mad at her for her talent. Uh, another is uh, a football player who has been in this, uh, American football player who's been in this I don't know. I don't know if I should play. I don't know if I want to play. Do I stay at my current school and be miserable and play or not play? Or do I potentially in my senior year? So the last year of high school, do I move schools and take a chance on playing a sport that I love and really recognizing my potential? And so success for him is making the best decision possible in terms of where he wants to play and if he wants to play. Um, a swimmer was, you know, getting through her senior year of high school, competing to the top of her level in order to get the scholarship and to get into the school that she wants. And success for her was just a couple of weeks ago, she was accepted to the school of her choice and will be on the team. So for every athlete, it's different, but it all stems from just the stuff standing in their way in terms of how do I get rid of it so I can get what I want. No, I think that's a really nice broad spectrum of, of examples there. So I guess one of the challenges you'll have is understanding the context for each individual, because again, from, from a simple perspective, you've got geography that will change how people, you know, are and what their beliefs are to culturally, to how they've been brought up and, you know, the different pressures we spoke about before. So how do you go around, I guess, understanding the context of someone prior uh, to obviously trying to support them? Cause that is a big part of it of, 
you know, being able to go, okay, I understand where these pressures are coming from. Have you thought about exploring X, Y, Z? So yeah, how do you go around understanding that context that they're in? Yeah, so the first part of the process is to get to know the parents and the athletes. Uh, it's really important from a parental perspective from a, from a couple of different areas. One, um, I'll be blunt, are they contributing to part of the problem, right? You know, being able to talk with them and understand, okay, maybe how you're approaching the, the your athlete, could that potentially be um, part of the issue? And I'm going to say this in a very loving way because I'm a parent of children. In some ways, the parent is always a contributing factor. It just depends on the the level and quote unquote severity. Um, we all want the best for our kids. And oftentimes that comes through our own lens versus the lens of the child. And so, you know, things can get murky and, and bleh, there. Um, so, but also, so are the, are the parents how much are the parents playing a, a, a playing a role? Um, how open are they to this kind of work, right? And every single parent that we've come to is they see the appreciation of supporting their child from a completely different angle, that it isn't always about the physical side of the game. There truly is a huge component when it comes to the mental side of the game. And once I've spoken to the parents or anybody's spoken to the parents, then we go to the athlete to see, you know, how much is the athlete really into this? How much are they going to work to actually figure out how to get out of their own way? Um, and then from there, once everyone's a yes, and, and including on our side, because there are times when, you know, it, it isn't the right fit to work with the athlete spend a lot of time digging into the athlete, like going through a number of different scenarios. You know, what are some of your best performances? What are some of your worst performances? And, you know, one of my superpowers is being able to see the bigger picture and see how dots connect. Uh, and then from there, creating that, that picture of context and then going back to both the athlete and their parents and saying, hey, this is what we've uncovered in these first couple of sessions. Does this sound accurate? And if so, then here are the two to three points that we are going to work on in order to support them in moving forward. Yeah, I think that makes complete sense. And as you said, kind of having that circle, that loop process to say, right, we're going to start here. And actually, before we then go for our next plan, you know, is, is this accurate from your perspective? So, yeah, could you, I guess, tell us about some of the barriers that you face regarding you know, obviously you're, you're working with these athletes with parents and you might all three parties go, actually, we're going to sign off on this. We think it's really going to be useful. And what you've highlighted, we see as well. What are some of the barriers you face in terms of the actual implementation of some of the strategies you're using? Um, so it might be, for example, if you've got someone who you've mentioned there, the soccer player that is finding it really challenging to go into a game scenario with a level of confidence that actually... I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing. I'm doing what my super strength is. And, uh, you know, if I give a bad pass away, that's okay because of X, Y, Z. What type of barriers would that type of individual face that you guys have to help them overcome? What came up specifically for that client, actually, a barrier for her would be the... Hmm. The belief that it can be different and in constantly reminding her that it's okay not to be a hundred percent 
because your hundred percent everything is different every single time you you go on to the pitch. Um, and it's it's helping her to see that she has a, a much bigger impact on those a much bigger positive impact on those around her than she believes that she has. And so there was actually uh, a conversation. She's actually on the younger end. So she's 12 years old um, and she has huge aspirations to um, play at Stanford, which is one of you know the biggest uh, universities here in the United States, one of the most prestigious, both academically and athletically, and then play for the women's national soccer team. And so, you know, she, it was her call to uh, work with someone like us in order to support her in that. But there was a, 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 a scenario that in one of our first sessions, she was like, I, we talk about <clears throat> what it means to be an elite athlete. And we always talk about that being elite has everything to do with your mindset and very little to do with your skill set. And, you know, we go through a certain number of characteristics that we've defined makes you or allows you to be elite. And one of those is inspirational. And she's like, I'm, I'm not inspirational there. No one looks to me to be anything. And then literally the next session, I got a note from her mother that said, um, somebody came up to her and wears the same equipment as she does, or started to wear the same things she does because they look to her to, as an absolute inspiration to be the person they want to be as they grow in their athletic career. And so the barriers are always going to be individual to the athlete, but at the end of the day, it's really the belief in themselves that they, they have it and they can bring it to the table. And it's just removing all the head trash that keeps them from seeing it. And how does that change contextually? Cause I could imagine if you've got, um, coaches that act in a particular way or particularly demand in a particular way, you know, the resilience to either deal with, um, some challenging feedback you know the coach might be particularly blunt you might go Greg Popovich style and just go I'm just <laughs> going to tell you exactly what I think um, or you know it might be a communication piece or actually this athlete's really struggling to communicate with the coach effectively about how they're feeling or the challenges they're having or you know why maybe they think moving a slightly different direction is a good idea how do you work with them I guess on some of those challenges in terms of right that's in your context as you obviously you've mentioned there regarding the personal perspective but in your context you've identified that you struggle with relationships with a couple of players or you struggle you know having dialogue around analysis with this individual how do you support them with that because obviously that is could, could potentially be another barrier that's going to stop them performing if they don't feel like they can have that dialogue or get the most out of every situation yeah and that's really diving into them as a person because you know i'm the firm believer that you know if you're struggling with communication that's 90 percent you potentially 10 percent the other person or you know whatever the the percentages or you know whatever you believe but it's really digging into who they are and what about either that person or that situation or that coach are they really trouble because, you know, I'll use my own specific example. So, um, in college, I couldn't stand my head coach. Like he and I just butt heads, like no one's business, but my specific distance coach or my stroke coach, let's call it, you know, whatever. I don't have to equate it to that. 
he and I had a phenomenal relationship. And so it wasn't that I couldn't communicate or I didn't know how to do it effectively or create relationships. It was simply the the difference in personality and energy and philosophy and values. And at the time, I had no idea how to get past that other than to just be competitive with my coach, to be completely honest. Um, you know, I felt it was, you know, if he was going to be an ass, I could be an ass right back kind of thing. <laughs> Not necessarily the most mature thing in the world, but hey, that's the situation that it was. So, you know, if if we, in full transparency, haven't necessarily come up with that kind of challenge yet based on the athletes that we've worked with, but knowing what I know based on not only my own experience, but having, you know, education in these spaces is what about that particular coach or that particular situation is keeping you because you obviously have the skills to do it with other people. It's that one person and it's your response to that one person or that one situation that requires attention in order to get past it. And that's when it would be digging into that person and saying, okay, what is it about this? And then coming up with, I'm a big experimenter. So that's what I often talk about with athletes is that, you know, we may try something. It may not work, right? So we'll try this one thing based on what we came to a conclusion of what might work today. We'll try it. Okay, we'll come back. Hey, was that a red, yellow, green? Did that really work? Did it kind of work? Or do you want to take that off the table and we'll never talk about it again? So that's what, that's the expectation that we set with athletes is that this isn't going to be like, we're going to one fix and done. It's we're going to experiment. And if it doesn't work, we'll figure it out. Yeah, I think that's a really nice analogy you've, you've pointed to there in terms of that communication piece. And, you know, it is, I guess, challenging for for multiple reasons. It doesn't necessarily mean that either of you are coming from a bad position. It's just like, for whatever reason, we don't get on. I, I guess the, the question for me off the back of that is, have you seen this change or do you see the change between like generations? So obviously you've worked in a specific generation or you competed and then obviously you've mm-hmm. been in the HR space and stuff. You work with slightly older athletes that are now in college. You work with younger athletes that are coming through different systems. Do you see differences from age groups to age groups in terms of what their preference is, what they do mm-hmm. like, what they don't like, how they're able to interact, how they're not able to interact? And if you do could you just explain to us what what some of those observations have been yeah um sorry my alexa's giving me a reminder um there is a there are differences and there are similarities i think the similarity is that no matter the generation and no matter how you've been raised you certainly want someone to talk to who is going to listen to you for who you are and not try to change you or think that you're broken so i think there's a similarity in that respect what what also comes up is that that actually might be a little bit more of a desire for the younger generation simply because of how they've grown up. Um, you know, their go-to is to be behind a screen um, to, in some ways, say whatever is on their mind, but also not say what's on their mind. And that sometimes they're they like say everything, but nothing at the same time. And that and that's not a knock. I, it, it's more of that from how how society was as they, as they grow, Um, you know, they're constantly, there are times when, you know, I, I, we're we're having a one-on-one session and they're constantly on the phone or they're like constantly distracted and it's just kind of how they operate. Um, I would say the difference is 
from my generation as well as, you know, growing up in the late nineties, early two thousands. And even before it was kind of like, put your head down, suck it up and move on. That doesn't work anymore. Right. You know, they're looking for ways to feel different, to be different, even if they can't articulate or explain what it is behind it. They just want relief from this like anguish that they feel. And there's been some coaching, there's been some conversations that I've had with coaches and a number of them have said it is that the younger generation, the current generation, right? Um, can't handle adversity and they don't know how to communicate. And it's not that they can't or they don't. It's that they, I don't know that they've ever been shown how to do it, right? And that there's also been conversations among coaches that these kids are 15, 16, 17, 18, but chronologically, but behaviorally they're 12, 13, 14, 15. And, and there's, you know, speculation that had to do with the pandemic is that like from a, from a maturation standpoint or from a development standpoint, some of that was halted and it's kind of two or three years behind the curve and coaches who are now in their forties or fifties, you know, who grew up in the, put your head down, suck it up and move on. That tends to be the, the, well, that's what I, that's what worked for me. So that's, what's going to work for you. But growing up in two different worlds, like putting your head down, sucking it up and moving on isn't an option or isn't necessarily as much of an option because of the, what they're growing up. Everyone has an opinion on what they're doing, provided they choose to put it out for everybody to comment on. And so it's not so easy to move on from someone personally attacking you online, even if they have no idea who you are. Again, that comes with putting yourself out there and making that choice, but then not necessarily having the skills to deal with it. I think those are the biggest differences. And do you think that that's something that are those older age groups you can be taught? So like what I'm seeing a lot in collegiate uh, space, for example, is a lot of transfer portal work where it seems like an athlete goes somewhere it goes wrong for a year and they leave and go somewhere else or they don't like the Jalen Hurts I think is a really nice example mm -hmm. he was at Alabama one of the top American football schools in the country mm -hmm. got benched for Tua Tunga Vailoa um oh, look at you a, I still can't even pronounce it <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a Dolphins fan so I've given it a good go um but yeah and then obviously Jalen Hurts has gone right not for me and left now listen that's probably turned out to be a pretty good decision with where he is now but it seems like the transfer portal is becoming more and more prominent so I just wonder is there is there place within your type of work or within coaching to actually try and educate the generation around okay, there's going to be resilience around this and here's why it's important. Don't just run and duck and dive and go somewhere else. Actually, this may be the best thing that ever happens to you for the long term. Like the classic ones, Michael Jordan, you know, didn't go on his varsity team. But do you think we're capable of educating them around that and getting buy-in from it? Or is do you think it's something that we're going to miss and, you know, five, 10 years from now, people are going to go, actually, I wish I'd stuck at it because that might have that might have helped me in the long term. Yeah, that's a phenomenal question because you have so many great examples on both sides of the equation, right? Uh, Joe Burrow is another example who you know didn't get the starting position at Ohio State. Now look at him. Um, you know, uh, I th here, here's my answer. Yes, I believe it can be taught. Uh, I, I believe the idea of resilience and 
and sticking it out and, and figuring out how to make your current situation work can be tough. Do I always believe it's the best solution? Not necessarily because it can prove to work. Though I would also argue that those athletes, you know, we're talking about Jalen Hurts, look, he, he did pretty well for himself. Joe Burrow, look, he did pretty well for himself. Both of their talent and both of their situations, though, are rooted in resilience, but maybe from a different lens than, let's say, Michael Jordan, right? You know, Michael Jordan continued to stick it out, whereas they use their resilience to say, hey, I know I've been knocked down. I know I've got more to give. I have an opportunity to use the resilience that I've gotten from that to then apply to another situation. So I think that that's a really tough. It's a great question. I think it's a tough question because I think it depends on the individual and the athlete, but they're all kind of rooted in the same coin, just a different side of that coin. No, I think that's interesting. You said the the lens that you're probably taking in terms of actually is it quitting or is it going I'm going to move to a more favorable circumstance and I'm going to analyze my circumstance and move to a more favorable favorable one and take a bit of ownership from me but what I'm going to do is learn you know learn from this scenario in this way so actually lack of resilience isn't the not sticking it out there it's the lack of resilience would be quitting if the same thing happens again rather than you know addressing some of my challenges or whatever that looks like i think that's a really interesting point yeah. um tom brady would be another example right of, of sticking it out where you were uh you know being at michigan and not being literally much of anything yeah yeah it ended up being okay you know three uh you know uh, hall of fame careers in one you know that's did, did it okay. um <laughs> And then I guess a question for me, from your experience and the people that you've worked with that have, you know, began to progress or have, I'm going to put this in inverted commas, become high performers, what key identifiers, key characteristics have you seen that they've had that's allowed them to navigate their way through, you know, times of excelling and high performance or in times of struggle through injury or poor performance to allow them I guess to have a level of consistency when they get to that top end to go actually they're perceived a relatively high performer in their in their sport yeah I think some of those markers is resilience I believe that resilience is probably the number one skill for any human uh, to develop, but for those uh, from a from a high performance and being able to, high performance and being able to do it consistently, it is that level of resilience that I can be knocked down, and I know that being knocked down isn't going to identify who I am. It's what I do after being knocked down, and I'm going to make the choice to to get up and keep going. Um, I would also say though that sometimes athletes can be overdeveloped in resilience. And by that, um, just continuing to keep getting up without learning from what happened and being able to apply that so that the next time it's even more effective. That's another story for a different day. Um, resilience, courage, the courage to ask for support, whether that be from coach, from mom, from dad, from someone like me, from a nutritionist, from a strength and conditioning coach, like the courage to want to be better and paired with the willingness to do the work it takes to get there. Um, you know, I, I 
love the book It Takes What It Takes by Trevor Malwad. I don't necessarily agree with everything in there, but I do believe, or I do agree with the concept of, you know, if you want something, you want something really big, you have no choice other than to put in the work to do it. That doesn't mean that you, you know, put your head down, suck it up and move on, but you, you're willing to do the work it takes to get there and to give everything you have in order to get it. Perfect. And we're quickly approaching the time we allotted for this. So I'm going to um, ask you two more questions. And yeah. then I guess the second last one is, where do you see this going? So with with what you're, the service you're providing and what that, where would be the, you know, the gold standard of, you know, in, in one year's time, five years time, 10 years time, I want it to look like this. And this is the rationale as to why. Yeah, so it really see it. So knowing that not everyone can or wants to work one on one, right? To 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 spend that time, to find that time. You know, they are busy athletes who go to school, who who work out, who do their practice. Um, you know, we are actually are working on what we're calling peak performance zone. So it would be an online resource that athletes can reference and tap into to do mental training minutes a day on their own time and on their own schedule or at their own pace. But we will provide a uh, roadmap, so to speak, or what we're calling a success path in terms of what that looks like and for them to be able to kind of pick and choose within that, um, to be able to give them an assessment at the beginning that pinpoints, hey, maybe you want to do this, maybe you want to do this, this is what you'll get the most out of. But five, one to five to 10 years time of really rounding that out to be a what I, what I'm calling like a lifestyle brand. So it's not just mental training, but we're, we're working to build the whole athlete. So bringing in nutritional expertise, bringing in movement and strength training and conditioning. So it's this, this one-stop shop for lack of a better term and of where high performing elite athletes can get the most expert advice and input and training and education from a number of different areas to round out their entire experience uh, and provide them with the resources that rather than go to all these different places, we can give them one central hub in order to find all of them. Perfect. Yeah, complete makes complete sense, should I say, in terms of being able to, you know, go, actually, I need a bit of support in this area rather than go and exploring another people. I've got it right there and they can join the dots, so to speak. And then the last one for me um, is if I were to speak to any of the athletes that you've worked with, um, how would you want them to describe you in three words and why? Three words. One, I love the number three. Um, so awesome. Um Hmm. Uh, open. Um, it's so hard. Um, open, caring, and easy. And by easy, I mean, um, We don't add a level of complexity to it. It's just, oh, I'm going to take easy out. I'm going to say accepting. Okay. And why, why those three? Accepting. And that they feel completely and utterly accepted no matter what's going on. Because that is who I am. I, you know, I, one of my superpowers is to just, you know, see people for who they are without judgment for how they got there. Um, 
now that you say it like open open is you know they they feel they feel drawn just like come on in this is the place for you we're gonna you know understand where you are we're gonna give you some ideas on how to really reach the level that you um want to reach and i'm gonna be completely honest what is the third word that i said caring caring yes thank you um just so they know that you know not everyone out there is is ready to jump in and say here's what you're doing wrong um it's more of like oh here's what you're doing really well we're going to capitalize on that here's where you've got some growth opportunities and let's just figure out what that looks like with no judgment in terms of how you got here or where you're going we're just going to have fun and we're going to experience it along the way perfect so if people are interested in trying to find you where can they find you your work etc and maybe get in touch yeah, absolutely. So it's performancereimagined.com. Uh, and then on uh, Instagram, it's at performance underscore reimagined underscore. And for pe- any parents out there, whether you're on LinkedIn, uh, you know, I've made a presence there. So it's it's under Lauren Ammon. Perfect. Listen, I really appreciate your time and I'm sure we'll stay in contact and catch up again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Sports Initiative podcast with me, Michael Wright. Please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at the Sports Initiative podcast and share this podcast with friends and family. I'll see you next week.